0: Hi, welcome to um, season seven. We're now in episode four of what we're calling the dark side of marketing. I'm Mary Abazia and with me is Tom Spitali and Sean Willem. Hey guys. Hi. I, we, um, we're we calling this, uh, this series the dark side because we find that there are so many stories out there that you know, there is a dark side to them, but they're employing um, a lot of marketing type disciplines that if you kind of turn it around and look at it in a different way, there are some best practices coming out of some bad ideas or, or some bad behavior. And so, Tom, um, you're introducing this one. Can you share with us what, what we're talking about today?
1: Yes, today we are going to talk about Martin Shrekley, the pharma bro, as he is, is known Uh, from his jail cell (laughs) today where he sits. Martin Shreckley was a young man who was first in the financial services business and and, and migrated over to the, the pharmaceuticals business. His way of operating was to be a part of organizations that were marketing drugs for rare diseases, very specialized diseases. And his strategy was to, once he took over these, these companies um, and, and became in a position of power, he started off as, a, as an advisor in some of these companies when he was in the financial services businesses, and then he moved over to various powerful positions, including being the leader, the CEO of, of, a, of, of a couple of the, the companies that he was a part of. You know, what he would do would be to um, just change the business model uh, what he he would he would limit the distribution channels for the drugs. So he would make partnerships with maybe one distribution channel. Just extremely limit the supply of these specialty drugs. And once the supply was limited, then he would raise the price by uh, an, an amazing multiple. You know, tens and twenty times more than the the price was on the market. And um you know because people had no other recourse but to buy this drug the financial um fortunes of the companies it was a part of you know really ratcheted up but obviously you know that it also raised a a, a lot of of rancor you know amongst patient advocates and the people that uh, had these diseases and eventually you know the government found a way to charge this guy with the crime, and that's why he sits in jail today. But, you know, for a long time, he was able to market premium price drugs at a major, major premium to the benefit of the bottom line, but to the detriment of the the, the people that he was, he was serving. So today, we kind of want to unpack the pricing strategy, the strategies of the pharma bro. By the way, he's called the pharma bro because you know, he, was a, he was young and, and, and he used to use the expression bro um, in a lot of the strategic texts that he was having with the other people in his company about the, you know, what, what they were going to do with prices and how they were going to get to the point that where, they, where they were. So, so we're going to unpack the practices of the pharma bro today um, and, and all that surrounds it.
2: Okay, that sounds like the sort of name you give yourself, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like if ever I'm you have unhappy. a, yeah, if ever you have a nickname that other people give you, it tends to be I, I, maybe a little bit of a of a dig, or maybe it's. But when you call yourself something, that that self and grand is is like a, a, a bizarre personality character trait. I think the key the key about this is is finding that price point, isn't it, Tom? It's finding that price point where you you find that sweet spot between volume of sales and margin. Every business is looking for that sweet spot. Now, that's an extreme. We are on the dark side, so we look at someone who's essentially price gouging, who's looking to um, unreasonably price. But nevertheless, I guess the lesson is that there will be a a demand and and a price response curve for your product, right? At what point does that price response curve fall off. And in the case of a of a very specific drug, I think it was Daraprim, was it? It was um like an AIDS medication for uh um toxoplasmosis. There was this this very rare disease, but the price went from twelve hundred for a treatment to sixty-nine thousand dollars for a treatment. That's more than a five times increase. Having said that, he still sold at that price because there was no alternative. The price response curve was essentially flat. Now there's a moral argument that we probably won't get into because I think that's clear to everyone that you shouldn't seek to, to, uh, to extort. But every business will have this same price response curve. Now, in most markets, it's moderated by competition, maybe by regulation, maybe by alternatives. People don't buy your product, they'll buy something else. You know, you put the price of one fruit item bananas you put the price of bananas up people stop buying that and they buy oranges or something like that there's always alternatives yeah. um it's understanding what that price response curve is that's the key isn't it is knowing where to maximize the, the the profit the question is how how do we go about that what tools have we got that that we've seen people use
1: i don't i don't mind talking about the moral part of this because i think the moral part of this actually has 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 a, a, a an interesting note to it, um, but before I even say that, I say a few. I, I say a future uh, topic, a positioning topic, is about nicknames. He's talking, he's talking about nicknames. I, I maintain that you cannot give yourself a nickname; it will never stick. And for for some various reasons. So let's make a note that we're going to talk about nicknames in a future because I think it does have it has uh, some some uh, some validity around the, the positioning
2: thing. But you are to share uh, with the people that special name you have for me, Tom, or is that just not going to be talked about?
1: Let's let's use that as a teaser, you know, for the, for the <laughs> actual the actual future future episode. No, I think the I think the moral part of this is 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 definitely important because. We do you know, we, we do want our clients to get the maximum price value relationship. You know what I mean we we, we want them to and, and customers are always going to complain about your price no matter what it is, and so oftentimes it's a it's a challenge to find that that price point, but it's it's a lot easier to get a premium price if you have a premium offering, and if you're very differentiated, right? I think the difference here is a lot of um, companies that charge a exorbitant price and get it are in businesses where the values of the people that are buying the product, one of the values is status and that they can brag to their friends how much they paid for this car, for this watch, you know? And so I think that there's an upper pricing mobility if status is part of the emotional set that, it, that it is also in this equation, differentiated value, maybe limited supply and, and, and um, you know status as an emotional need of your clients. That's the triumvirate. And that's when you can go really super uh, aggressive. I think the difference in this case is status is not something that these sick you know, these people that are really sick with a rare disease are seeking. And so I think when it, it you know, you ratchet that price up to that level without that emotional need uh, of, of, of status being, being served, I think that's when it becomes a moral issue. And I think that that's the problem with the pharma bro and his practices. Bro. <laughs>
0: I am. I I think another part of your story that is very fascinating to me because I'm an econ major is, you know, you learn about supply and demand. But, um, you know, Martin took it to the bro took it to an extreme with the supply lever. You know, we have these these different levers and supply is one of them that can um, enhance your value, quote unquote, and therefore enhance your opportunity to price. You have more pricing power. So we all know that. But for him to take it to an extreme is interesting. Um, I also am glad though to see that we have clients that are doing respirators and you know and and uh, many things that are required in this pandemic that are on short supply and um, and yet they aren't gouging you know they're they're from a moral standpoint and probably from a legal standpoint there probably are some limits a ceiling to some of the prices that they can charge but uh, but it is you know as a marketer you have a lot of levers and and martin just really kind of put a spotlight on a couple of them for us here
2: i think on the on if we are going to talk about the moral question to me there's two ways of looking at it there's there's a, a scarce resource which is uh, the concept of allocative efficiency? How do you make sure those resources get to the most valuable places? And that's where the price mechanism supposedly works best. And it's why a lot of states, incidentally, don't have um, price gouging laws for disasters. You know, at least a lot of the economists in the states vote against them, whether they have them or not. They they, they argue that um, not allowing uh, tradespeople or businesses to to increase prices during a, 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 a an event like say a hurricane or an earthquake or something um, is actually bad for the allocative efficiency and the goods don't get to where they need to go. Uh, less dramatically, that's how Uber works. Uber works on the basis that if there's a lot of demand for cars, then the price goes up. That will draw more drivers into the pool, so increase the supply and will somewhat temper the demand, because unless you really need to get from A to B, you're probably not going to pay the highest prices. So when the price moves with demand and allocates resources efficiently, there's, a, there's at least an economic argument to counter the moral one. But when you have a fixed market with no choice and a fairly flat demand curve, and you seek to exploit that, that goes back to the very worst aspects of of antitrust and monopolies, where you sew up the market to the extent where choice is removed, competition is removed, the need cannot be removed because it's an essential good, and then you seek to profit out of it, which shouldn't be allowed, In this case wasn't. So I think when you look at it morally, uh, this this does sound like a lecture on moral philosophy, but I do think it's important to recognise the difference between gouging a, a captive market that has no choice versus allocating resources efficiently in in the, in a case of extreme demand for that resource um is the way i would characterize what
0: about them. diamonds sean what about diamonds i mean there, diamonds you could argue there's a uh there's there is a i know it's not medicine but for a long time the diamond industry has has tried to you know have a hold on that you know and if you want to get married you go down and you know tom you were saying about ego you know you you want to say to your significant other you know okay we're going to buy a diamond because i love you so much and pay a lot of money for it and um and so i think you know and, and now that the artificial or the fabricated um diamonds are you know potentially on the market it's kind of at least putting some pressure on on it but you know, yeah. some would say a diamond is a must have <laughs>
2: Inter- interesting on, on that topic, though, Mary, that the you know, the uh, I only got picked this up when I lived in the US for a while. The, the idea that the price you should spend on an engagement ring for the for the man in a, in a, a heterosexual uh, engagement to marriage was two times your monthly salary was like the okay. minimum. That's that's like a guide for people. Right. And you know who came up with that? That benchmark. A
0: woman. It, it,
2: De beers it was De beers the people that, that control them at the let
1: us, let us never, help you figure out how much you should spend on a diamond
2: that, <laughs> that, yeah that they, well. they, they're the ones that tell you now the other thing about De Beers is they they have sewn up the this global supply of diamonds pretty much but it was them that also introduced the concept of well the the, the famous slogan a diamond is forever is is is, is from from them uh, which became a great song and a, uh, and a James Bond theme tune I think as well uh, and then also the, the very notion of giving a diamond engagement ring is very much a modern phenomenon. It's not historical. And again, who introduced this concept? Why well, it was <laughs> so well, what I think great it's great marketer, what yeah,
1: great exactly. marketer. they, they yeah.
2: stimulated the demand. They then set their price point saying, if you really loved her, you would spend this much money, which is a difficult one to, you know, you, you, you try saying to your, your beloved, Look, diamonds are a girl's best friend, but cubic zirconia is pretty good company too. You know, it's, well, you're not going to get away with that.
1: Well, but but see, this is this is back to my point. The triumvirate, right? Diamonds are are limited in in supply, you know, and and they're rare by by nature. And status is involved. Okay, there's status. It's like okay, you know, uh, honey, I know that uh, you know you should spend. Twice you know your monthly salary. I spent five or six times my sal. You know what I mean? Is this there's a there's an ego gratification both on both ends of that equation, the buyer and the and the re- the recipient. You know, but so so I I I maintain. I go back to you know is is status a part of the equation? Well, if if that is you and and you are differentiated and there's limited supply, that's the three factors go to the top. Otherwise. You know you've got you've got to think about something else. Look, we don't we're not going to begrudge the the, the, the fact that you know um, uh, pharmaceutical companies, you know have have some justification for charging you know premium prices in in some cases, you know, in terms of the you know, amortizing the research and being motivated to find n- new 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 drugs. I think part of the the problem is with with Martin Shrekley is, there actually was a reference point before he, before he ratcheted up his his price. And when you come with a new to the world solution to something, you know, it's, it's very difficult for people in, you know, innovative innovators. It's very difficult for them to know what to charge. It's very difficult for customers to know what's fair. There's no reference point, you know, what Martin Shrekly did is there was a re- reference point, which was the previous price, right? And when he took over some of these companies and then ratcheted it up, you know, you have this idea that, well, wait a minute, if the, if the prior company was able to, to at least survive at the previous price, what's, what's going on here? Um, it, 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 that, that those, those pesky competitors or that reference point messes up a, pre, a, a premium, an unbounded premium price strategy, and it probably should. Sure. It
2: probably should. I, I guess it's understanding that value that you that you derive from it as well, because we talk about premium products, which are fairly obvious. If you buy a, no one wears a twenty grand watch to tell the time, right? It's 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 it serves other purposes. But also, if you look at products like smartphones, you know, you you get the latest phone release, and it's it's twelve hundred dollars for the for the top of the range, big screen, blah blah blah. But now, even uh, well, most phone manufacturers have a smaller version, maybe a less powerful chip. They have a, a de-featured version, so you can get a new phone for 699 rather than the 1200s. So they're offering different price points. That's another key part of maximizing the the price take is not putting all your chips on, on one spin of the wheel and saying, we make the premium phone or we make the budget phone. It's spreading those chips over the roulette table, saying we got the budget offer, we got the mid-range, we got the high-end, we got the, the gold-plated. You know, you you can actually produce a range of products within that sort of price um, universe to, to to maximize your your company's take, rather than thinking of it as a product level. Think of it as a product range as well.
1: What's that remind you of, Sean? Remember in 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 uh, in your in your home country. We were, we were involved in the baby formula business where that was, was absolutely um, the, the, the situation. Um, I think we you know, without, without name and names, I mean, what, the market was, what was happening in the market over, over there was that um, a company that was pre, uh, previously thought of as the, the premium price was getting outflanked by a company that was doing exactly, Sean, what you're talking about that that company that that had a wider range of offering was actually uh, spending a lot of money to position themselves as the uber premium the super premium you know the best yeah. uh, baby formula closest to breast milk best thing for your baby's brain eight you know can become a status kind of situation with some some parents i buy this because my child is is worth it and i have the resources and the means to do that but that same company was also in the market with a low priced solution for people of lesser economic means lesser featured product but still you know a a good product and um the 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 former premium supplier was getting squeezed in the middle
2: yeah you've got to have that spread haven't you and i guess it's also worth looking at when you when you think of the different value points that exist across uh different products it's worth remembering it's dynamic as well You know, there's no single leave. You don't sit there and say, right, our price will be this. And then you sit back and watch the money roll in because you're going to get a response, whether it's a competitive response because you're stealing market share or whether it's a government or a legal response because you are literally gouging the market and that's deemed to be unacceptable, or whether it's a response from your customers that say, I'm going to either not buy your product, right? There's certain products we can do without. You know, if you suddenly say we're going to charge a fortune for a product that's not a necessity, then you'll just stop selling it because people will find something else to do. So it's also dynamic. It's an ongoing battle. Like every part of strategic marketing, it's about optimizing but then fine-tuning constantly. you got your hand on the on the wheel, giving little course corrections all of the time and pricing is no different.
0: <laughs> so we um, we hope that you have uh, heard a couple of things that might help you as you're thinking about your levers that you can control with marketing, including supply and um, and pricing. Um, so thank you again. Uh, we would love to hear your feedback on this podcast or in anything that uh, you think might be noteworthy. Uh, you can find us at Um, uh, We have our podcast there and pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast. So thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank
1: you.